Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. It has been said often and loudly that demographics is destiny and that the Republican Party and centrist Democrats are doomed to the dustbin of history. As America gets more divided, more divisive, more diverse, and more urban. But is there more to it? Is there something behind the headline? Is this really the case? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Conventional wisdom suggests that America's largest cities are progressive strongholds where moderates and conservatives are a fading force. But a brand new survey from the Manhattan Institute's Metropolitan Majority Initiative tells us otherwise. Michael Hendricks, who is the senior fellow and director of state and local policy at Manhattan Institute, joins us now to discuss this. Uh, Michael, thanks for uh, coming on with us today. It's great to be with you. This is one of those uh, things that I've been excited to talk to you about. Uh, we often talk about the movable middle, the center left to center right that are in so many places in the country. You have dug deep in terms of metropolitan areas. Uh, tell us first just a little bit about this Metropolitan Majority Initiative, and then we'll get into some of the new data you've been sharing. Right. Well, you know, we saw a lot of what you're seeing uh, in New York City, where the Manhattan Institute is based. We saw in the lead up to the mayoral primary uh, a shift from Bill de Blasio saying this is the beginning of a endless stream of progressive mayoralties. We found something very different in our polling in New York City. We found that there was a metropolitan majority across New York City that across national partisan boundaries, across ethnic and racial divides, across neighborhoods, people saying, look, we care about the basics on local issues. We care about public safety economic prosperity, good education, a good future for our kids. And that really translated into those who led the Democratic primary for mayor. And, you know, this is a seven to one Democratic city. So it's the primary that mattered for who became mayor. So we decided to go across the rest of the country, poll Americans in the 20 numerically fastest growing metros in America. And we found much the same thing, a metro majority. And so we created this kind of metro majority initiative to kind of speak to and for that multi-ethnic mainstream and their basic priorities. Cost, crime, and classroom issues led our survey, and those are the issues that we really want to dig into 
across this country. Uh, I love that. And I think it is this interesting thing. One of the things that you uh, note in that metropolitan majority that this is a pragmatic multicultural constituency uh, who, again, are focused on a lot of those core issues and are less driven uh, by the more traditional, you know, political machines and the the far left and the far right and the and the Democrat-Republican battles. Uh, they want to get down to these real issues. That's right. And, you know, these partisan battles, they still exist. The political machines, they still very much are in power in many cities. You know, it, it remains the case that out of the most populous cities in America, there's really not much political competition. Uh, they're, they're Democrats uh, own density in America. Density and Democratic vote share have never been more correlated than mm. today. But nevertheless, we see that, you know, for instance, six out of 10 respondents say crime is increasing in the area. This is a finding that cuts across racial and ethnic lines. Um, folks who uh, are asked, you know, are your local schools doing a good job? Well, few say so. And when you dig in with parents, you know, they're even more kind of concerned about the future of curriculum issues. Just over half of respondents are wary of critical race theory in school curricula. Uh, And that's true even for, you know, black and Hispanic parents. They, too, are concerned about CRT. And you know, being a parent can motivate responses uh, beyond just what one partisan or ethnic group would have you say. And so I really think it matters, no matter your partisan ID, uh, if you're a local elected official, you should really be listening to what your constituents are saying, not presume that, you know, just because of the way they vote at the national level or the color of their skin, that they will think or vote in a particular way on local issues. Really dig in, really dig in, listen to them, because guess what? We've been seeing during this pandemic, people can vote with their feet. Right. There's never been more competition between cities. And so we can't take growth for granted. They can't take growth for granted or presume what people think. Uh, I, I think that's so important. And uh, I, I think it does just speak to this idea that in the things the things that really matter, really matter to everybody. Uh, and whether that's education or crime or housing, or whatever that may be, uh, that that is the, the place that leaders, especially at that local level, we, we always say those local elections are going to impact your life far more than what's playing out in our in our nation's capital in those big picture uh, things. So I want to dig into some of these uh, with you, Michael. I know uh, you have spent a lot of time just relating uh, to the issues of housing, uh, again, in these metropolitan areas. What are you learning about the, the housing issues, affordability? Uh, what, is, what are the data tell us? Well, we really see that housing and homelessness, these are by far the leading issues in America's fastest growing metros. That's more so than COVID-19, than than, than taxes and jobs and even education, housing and homelessness is a huge, huge priority. And it, it's really just that the cost of housing is just completely out of control. We see that 72% of people in Denver, 69% in Seattle, 66% in Austin, San Francisco say that housing affordability is poor or very poor. And this is really something that's afflicting the coastal cities that have been just you know outrageously expensive uh, for the past couple of decades, but it's now becoming an American issue, not just a coastal issue, an American issue. Housing is out of control. And it's really an issue that's driving people to vote with their feet, you know, uh, given the chance to live anywhere. Folks who say that uh, cost of living is a big issue, they're more likely to be the ones that say, you know what, I think we're ready to leave. Yeah. And we really dug into this, too. This is something that matters, especially to parents, uh, whether or not they can afford a place to live. Whether or not they're concerned about cost of living, 
that really determines whether or not they want to stay where they are. This is a big, big issue, and it's becoming even bigger across the rest of this country. Yeah, and we've seen that even here in the state of Utah in terms of both housing and homelessness uh, as significant issues uh, here. Are there any uh, other interesting uh, components to that as you look at you? You mentioned uh, voting with their feet and recognizing how mobile uh, everyone has become, uh, realizing that you can often work remotely from anywhere. Uh, and so location uh, suddenly is a, is a different component as opposed to what it used to be, that you had to be in that metro city, you had to be downtown uh, where the action was. Uh, any other interesting trends you're noticing from the data? Yeah, I mean, we are, we are noticing that people are prioritizing uh, access to jobs and taxes, you know, one of the just even beyond our survey results, if you look in, if you look at the companies that have announced, look, we're going to allow hybrid, we're going to allow full remote work. And you look at their press releases and you say, you know, what, what are the issues they cite behind that reason to allow full remote or mostly hybrid work? And it's predominantly housing issues. Mm. So housing is determining a lot of even where corporations and workers decide to locate. Uh, you know, we dug into what kind of you know issues would get support for maybe addressing this housing uh, crisis in America, which we really see as a supply and demand issue. It's econ 101, a lot of demand for housing, not enough supply, millions of homes short in America. And we found support for uh, deregulation, cutting red tape. We found support for, you know, if there's more housing needed near transit stops, allowing that to happen. And and they even allowing, you know, backyard apartments in suburban areas, you know, kind of maintaining the character of neighborhoods, but still allowing, you know, kids, grandparents to be able to still find a way to move home if they want to. That's really a big issue, not just for, for workers and being kind of a pro-worker city, but being a pro-family city going at, looking ahead into the future. We're going to stay with the conversation. Coming up more with my chat with Michael Hendricks of the Manhattan Institute. Again, this very pragmatic group emerging that is multicultural constituency. Uh, they're really beyond just uh, the traditional things you would think of in metropolitan areas. What did their survey reveal about how people in cities think about education, quality of life, and the politics of all of this? Coming up next. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor, Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.